listening to the Free Feast Podcast with Pete, Craig and Rick. Welcome back, everyone, to the Footy Feast podcast, the place to tune into if you're hungry for more footy content. Episode 15 this week. How are we, boys? Uh, we're a little bit tired. It was a big adrenaline-packed weekend. We watched Collingwood lose by a point, and then we watched Norwood in the local league win by a point. So it's been a bit of a roller coaster of emotions, but um, we're here. Rick, how are you going? Yeah, well, I'm tuning in from home this week, boys. Had my wisdom teeth taken out. I'm pretty drugged up. I wrote my notes today while I was drugged up, so I don't know how good they're going to be, but I'm ready to do the podcast. All right, so we'll look forward to some more Matt Gorn blunders from you this week then, Rick. My best, mate. (laughs) All right, so just following on from Craig, we're going to move straight into the finals wrap-up. We'll talk about Collingwood just in a minute, but first game this week was Geelong v Brisbane. Geelong won by 71 points, kicked 18 goals, to, uh, 12, having 30 scoring shots. What happened there, boys? Uh, I'm pretty sure I came out last week and said that Geelong would win by a lot, and Geelong came out and won by a lot. Um, what happened was Brisbane played their grand final the week before where they beat Melbourne. Um, they just couldn't couldn't do it again. Um yeah, in a nutshell, they were never really in the race all year and they did well to um to get this far, I guess. Yeah, nailing it down. What happened is they had three Australia three of the all Australian forwards, Jeremy Cameron, Tyson Stengel, Tom Hawkins. They're gonna be dangerous for anyone. Paddy Dangerfield showed that he really wants a flag this year, kicked a goal like in the first thirty seconds and set the precedent of what the game was gonna be like. He was sensational. Brisbane didn't come out and play good. Um, Charlie Cameron had an average night, and um, obviously they put a lot of tension into Lockie Neal, and yeah, they're just not the same level of Geelong, unfortunately. Yeah, definitely wasn't uh, anywhere near the final spec uh, game that we've seen in this final series. So moving on to the next one, Sydney Collingwood, 14 goals 11.95 to 14 goals 10.94. Collingwood were six goals down. They fought back very hard, but... Sydney still managed to hold on by just the one point. Now, probably this is a very sore spot still for you, although you had some solace with uh, Nord winning the flag, so you got some redemption the next day. But how do you feel after that? I am feeling... I was pretty rough on... um Saturday night, there was a whole whole bottle of wine I went through while watching that. wasn't the initial plan. I had glass with dinner and then more and more got drank as the game went on. Um, the result was not surprising to me in that I thought Sydney would win comfortably and it looked like they would win comfortably. Um, honestly, I think if they, I was talking about this, if they kicked straight early, the game would have been well and truly over. Uh, more so than it was, they had about 16 scoring shots to seven and Collingwood kicked seven straight if they didn't kick straight and Sydney kicked a little more accurately. Um, it would have been almost 60 points by half time. So the scoreline flattered Collingwood, who's had a good year, and, and they were in it all the way through. Um, even with the goalie playing a bad game, um, they were around the mark, which has been um, different to how the other finals have gone. But, I mean, it's just uh, it's just karma, boys. When you win 11 by a really short margin, you're bound to lose a couple, and we just happened to lose both our finals by a couple of points each after we'd won 11 games in a row by a couple of points. So. What goes around comes around, um, but it was a good run while it lasted. Yeah, I've just got here um, an absolute banger of a game, number one. like That was like prime football watching. Um, Sydney tried to park the bus in the last quarter and almost cost them. Um, Collingwood literally come out. They just played ultra-attacking straight down the line. It's the best type of football to watch. It reminded me of like how Richmond were playing in 2019 and 2020. Um, I really hope Port Adelaide are watching this and just see if you just let loose a little bit more and take some risks. There's more opportunity for score rather than trying to slow it down and play stupid. Um, but yeah, really good game. The game went for another two minutes. Collingwood easily would have won that, which has also put doubt in my minds for next week. And I just don't know if Sydney are going to be up to the test against Geelong now. Um, but a little fun fact, um, Sydney is the only current team in the AFL that has more than a one-game winning streak against Geelong. They've beat them the last two times they've played. Yeah, I did see that stat earlier in the week. But um, so for the grand final predictions, mine I said last week is that Geelong uh, would win 
I still think that's the case, in my opinion, for next week. I've got Geelong over Sydney, especially with how Sydney were six goals up and almost lost it to Collingwood. I know Rick was saying they parked the bus a little bit, but um, I know it comes down to the grand final day, but I'm hoping that Sydney get up. I would like that, but I just don't think um, they're going to take it over Geelong. Geelong will be too strong, in my opinion. What do you think, boys? I am going against the grain, and I think Sydney will beat Geelong. I think they're quick. I think they're exciting. I think the McCartan boys can hold Hawkins and Cameron to um, a lesser score, especially with Rampy back there. I think Warner and Papley, um, Heaney, the X factor is extremely high. I think all we need is one of them to get on a roll, and um, this has a lot of Hawthorne Sydney 2012 about it, where Hawks were overwhelming favourites in Sydney with Nick Malcheski kicked the winner late. Um, I am firmly of the belief that Sydney should have coasted to that win on Saturday night. Um, the one point flooded Collingwood, and I think they'll be right in this one for the grand final. Rick? Um, I do think that Geelong are going to win. Um, I just feel that Cameron, Stengel, Hawkins, they're just players that are going to pile on a huge score. Like you're talking about three of the top, what, 10 scorers of the AFL this year. Of course, they're going to pump out a big score. Um, Sydney are a young team. They don't have as much experience come finals. I just think Geelong are going to be a little bit too good, but I really don't want to see Geelong win. Um, Just Craig said, I just want to throw out a couple of names from the Sydney Collingwood game. Chad Warner was sensational, and Errol Goulden stood up when he needed to as well. And If Sydney can produce a lot of these easy, small wins from their X-Factor players, there is a chance, but I just don't like their odds. Yeah, well, I think the other big thing if I am Sydney is I want to get Sam Reid on the park. As soon as he went out of the game, that really swung it in Collingwood's favour. He was massive early. Um, He's been massive all year, underrated in their forward line, but for their structure, um, he was important. He takes big pack marks, takes a bit of pressure off um, Lance Franklin. If he doesn't get up, I don't think there's really a player that will be as damaging as he is to take his spot. So I think that's a big one for him and for Sydney. Um, I think Geelong have winners all over the ground, but um, if their midfield falters, I think that's where Sydney will get them. I think Sydney are more balanced all over the park. So Sydney to win and Papley to be the... Um, Norm Smith. Norm Smith, that one. Yep. I think Papley for the Norm Smith. That's what I'm going at, $21 or something. I was so. about to ask, do you know what he's paying? If it's 21 that's not 21s. a... 21s. So little, he's on the... cheeky outside a bet there. Yeah. I think he's a chance. He just gets them going. Favourite. Uh, I think it's Jeremy Cameron and Patrick Dangerfield, I think, are the favourites. And then I think Callum Mills is next. Um, and Isaac Heaney even. I think those are the couple Norm Smith favourites. Geelong are pretty even all over the park, so it'd be pretty hard to go past Cameron for them anyway. And Dangerfield, if he plays the way he did on the weekend. Um, does he have another good game in him? Yeah, who knows? Yeah, so I'll just read out the top couple of names. So it's Paddy D, $7. Callum Mills, $9. Jeremy Cameron, $10. Luke Parker ten dollars, Guthrie thirteen, Tom Stewart thirteen, Isaac Heaney and Tom Hawkins fifteen. Yeah, I think Tom Stewart's a good name if you're looking for an outsider. He can dominate a game back there. Um, get he got forty touches or something in fifteen marks during the year or something in one game. So at fifteen dollars, that's not a bad bet either. Especially with what is hoping to be a high pressure, intense game. So he should rack up the touches. Well, I think the weather forecast is for rain. So oh, if it is, those big boys. Yeah, they would um, be struggling a little bit, you'd think. But if it rains, I'd say it favours Sydney. I reckon they're going to be a better wet weather football than Geelong. I agree with that. Yeah, they're a lot faster team. Yeah, like James Rowbottom, like um, Luke Parker, Errol Goulden. They just rack up tackles. So wet weather footy is probably more suited for them. If it rains, Sydney are the favourites, in my opinion. Before we move on, I do have a question I want to ask you, Craig. Yes. after the Collingwood-Sydney game, Nick Rewalt and someone else were talking about um, this was Collingwood's year. Next year's not going to be the same. He's had 11 games where he's won by more than a goal. They're all 50-50 games where you could have lost and not even made finals. Do you think that Collingwood are going to be a top four side next year? That is a very good question. Um, we had a dream run this year of close wins. I mean, statistically speaking, it's a one in a hundred or not even one in a hundred, one in a thousand chance of happening again. Um, have we made enough improvements to be able to win more games by more convincing margins next year? Uh, yeah, I think we did. I think the final showed that 
we certainly can win games in a more convincing fashion. We dominated Fremantle right into it with Geelong and Sydney. Sydney, we came from behind, but Geelong, we didn't. We were in front the whole time. And if they're the premiership favourites and uh, we were in front the whole time, then, yeah, I think we definitely can match it with them. Um, getting McStay in um, will hopefully be a good addition to the forward line. Um, we keep everyone else on the field. Dugowie stays. Um, there's a bit more natural improvement in Nick Dacos and others alike. Um, yeah, I think we can be around the mark. Just depends how many petrol tickets, um, how and Sidebottom and Pendlebury. And if we can keep them all on the park, because we had a good run with injuries this year, which I think is for any team the most important thing, not what your team's made out of, how many of your best 22 you can get on the park. And we had it most weeks. Yeah, good analysis. I'm happy with that. But in Port, that would have been Port's biggest weakness this year, would it not, in that they had too many injuries? Our weakness was poor coaching and poor game plan. Yeah, but no, Charlie Dixon early, Butters went out injured early, um, Rosie was injured, uh, Robbie Gray was injured a lot of the year, didn't even get Orazio Fantasia on the park, Scott Lysett was out most of the year. Yeah, but, but it goes back to either way, Port still don't beat top eight teams, and you've got to be able to beat the top eight teams to be able to play finals and go deep into finals. Um, Port win the games that you expect them to win and then they don't win games that they should be winning because they're around the same mark as us. They're pretty much potato pumpers. Yep, fair enough. So do we all put our Norm Smiths in and predictions? Oh, For me, Norm Smiths, mine would be Jeremy Cameron because I think Geelong are going to go off and Jeremy Cameron's going to be their best player. Geelong by how much? 25 points. Ooh, mine was Jeremy Cameron by 20 and 23 points to Geelong. I have Sydney by 12 and Tom Papley to get the medal. All right. All right. Two nights ago, Sunday night, the Brownlow was on. Paddy Cripps took it out for 2022. Um, very interesting polls uh, this year for for one. Carl Amon got 15, 15 votes this year for Port Adelaide, which I thought was ludicrous. But um, anyway, before we kind of wrap up the Brownlow, we're just going to quickly discuss about how we can make this uh, Brownlow not just a midfielder award. Um, so just for reference, this year, there were only three out of the 18 teams whose highest polling player was a midfielder. That was Adelaide, Taylor Walker, 14 votes, Geelong, Jeremy Cameron, 19 votes, and West Coast, Josh Kennedy with six votes. Um, we discussed it a little bit during the week, but what's uh, your thoughts on how this... Brownlow can become an all-player award as opposed to just a midfielder award. Do you have any ideas, Rick? I got one idea in mind. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Oh, I, I come up with three ideas. Um, okay, let's hear them. So the first one is you've got to vote by a line. So only the three vote, the two vote, and the one vote can go to either team for per position. So the three vote, for example, could go to Oliver. The two votes could go to a Ben Keys, but the one vote now has to go to a back or a forward that makes sense so one midfielder from each team can poll votes or two forwards can poll votes um but you can't have three people of the same line polling votes and ruckman go with midfielders as well so essentially you should see more one forward one midfielder one backman getting a vote every week um the other option is i feel like it takes integrity away from it but you could have a forward mvp and a back mvp i don't really like that because the best player in the AFL isn't always a midfielder. Um, and then my third idea was a handicap. So backs off forwards would get their Brownlow scored by like times 1.5. So if Jeremy Cameron got 15 votes this year, he would get an extra seven and a half votes because of the handicap, which would put him up to 21 votes and it still wouldn't have been enough for him to finish top five anyway. So there could be like a handicap multiplier that you could apply to forwards and backs because obviously the umpires just favor midfielders. That's interesting. I don't mind the handicap idea if you could find the right formula. Um, well, Jeremy Cameron got 19 this year, so your time's up by 1.5. Would he beat Cripps? He would have had, well, 1.5 would have been close to 30. He would have been yeah. almost 29 and a half, so he probably would have won by so half would the have, vote. Yeah. Do you think that Jeremy Cameron should have won the Brownlow this year on the, on the on a handicap system? Well, I don't feel that Patrick Cripps was the best player consistently for the entire year, so either way, the methodology of it is somewhat flawed, but if you take into account Jeremy Cameron averages like um, a below average midfielder number for possessions, like he probably gets like 18 touches a game, but he was also like fourth in the Coleman medal. 
hell yeah, he's a valuable player and he's one of the best players in the comp. And for him to be the only player, I think he finished like eighth. So realistically, he's probably better than the eighth best player in the AFL. So mm-hmm. 1.5 might be a bit high. I just threw that out as an example. Like Craig said, you would need to figure out the, the magic number. Um, but yeah, I feel like it would give the opportunity to um, more players to potentially win outside midfielders. Um, if we come up with a rough number, I'll go back and have a look at like the highest Lance Franklin and Nick Rewalt and then have finished and we'll see if throughout history it would have actually changed some winners. Yeah. Oh, the Matthew Richardson is the one that I can think of when he had that magical year. I mean, he played on the wing for most of the year, but he almost won the Brownlow medal back in the early to mid-2000s um, from Richmond. What was your idea, Craig? Oh, just what? hold up. Just one sec. So Jeremy Cameron would have got 28.5, so he still would have lost Cripps. Yep. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Uh, my idea is very similar to Rick's first idea. In He almost nailed it word for word. Um, so in the 3-2-1 system, every week the umpires would have to pick one forward, one back, one midfielder slash ruck. So rucks, midfielders would be um, grouped together. How they dish out the 3-2-1 is entirely up to them. So if they decide Jeremy Cameron is the best player, three votes to the forward, and then they say Tom Stewart's the second best, two votes to the defender, and then the third best um, was a midfielder and he played for, I know, Carlton and Patrick Cripps. So he'd get one. So every game you would have a 3-2-1 and every position would be recognised either by three, two or one votes. So if the midfielder is the best one on the ground every week in every game, then they'll get the three votes every week. But if that's not the case, then the forwards and the backs might get three votes one week and then three votes the next week and they'll alternate it. Um, I think what you'd find then is you'd find the most consistent player um, because instead of picking a midfielder or three midfielders every week, you're only picking one midfielder out of both teams or one midfielder slash ruckman. So it would really say um, who the standout midfielder was in the game. You were the best midfielder every week if you win the Brownlow, or you were the best forward every week if you were to win the Brownlow, or you were the best defender in every game you played. So um, I think that would create a really even system. Uh, And me and Pete discussed earlier, which you made a very good point, was how do you clarify what a forward midfielder back is? Um, Is it by starting position on the field? Is it by what they are on AFL Fantasy, if they're a mid-forward or mid-back, like you'd have to work out what classifies as a forward, what classifies as a midfielder or ruck, and what classifies as a defender. So percentage time on ground. Um, But either way, you recognise all three lines every week. Um, And at the end of the year, it might only be 15 votes wins it, but at least you know you were the best player from your line in the games that you played, Rick. Um, I've just been thinking while we've been talking about it. Um, the only issue I would see is the gap between elite forwards and average forwards is bigger than the gap between elite midfielders and average midfielders. So like average forward, for example, so say like comparing Charlie Dixon, who's an average key forward to a Jeremy Cameron compared to like doing a Travis Boak to a Clayton Oliver. Like that gap between those two players I named is way more significant. Yeah, but I mean, if you're dominating, like uh, there were, well, if you look at the Coleman medal leaderboard, there were, I don't know, 10 players plus that kicked, 20 players that kicked 40 plus goals. So the forward votes would be spread around them. I mean, they're all spread around the same midfielders anyway. There was only six midfielders that could have won it this year. And it turned out they nailed the top six in the end anyway, like perfectly. So all you're doing is just giving forwards and defenders a chance now, whereas before you weren't giving them a chance. Um so that's why I think this idea would have merit because the only thing about integrity I would have with this is if there were no midfields or there were no forwards or defenders that dominated. Like if you have a game where 10 of your goals come from midfielders, your Petrarchas, your Olivers, or whoever else, your Lockie Neals, and then your forwards kicked one, two, one, two, one, two. So, I mean, what's the point of keeping him in there? So just be an integrity issue that I would have mainly, but I think it'd be worth a go. All right, so let's move on to the Brownlow this year. Um, first of all, what do we think about Cripps winning the Brownlow? Not unhappy with Cripps winning the Brownlow. I thought he was finished at the start of the year. He clearly proved me wrong. I thought he'd gone past him and Walsh had gone past him. 
Walsh started the year a bit injured and I was off to a slow start, but he didn't poll anywhere near. Cripps was dominant in his wins. He should have got three votes in round one because he dominated that game. So that was criminal that he got one vote. Um, yeah, I'm happy that the favourite didn't win this year because that's always fun to see. Sorry, Lucky Neil. Um, just on that note, Craig, you owe me a six-pack still because start of the year, I called that Patrick Cripps was going to get good again in our fantasy league. I stole him as a player. Um, after I thought he hit his peak, like around the mid-season, I traded him out of my team. I'm not upset that I did. I got a good trade for him. But um, just from the preseason this year, because I did a bit of research, um, he lost a lot of weight. He looked hungry. All the videos that Colton was sharing, he looked good. Um, good on him. He's really bounced back. His last two years before this year have been really average. Um, was he the best player, in my opinion, this year? No. I would have said Lockie Neal and Clayton Oliver were better players this year. But good on him. He got enough three-point games. He did deserve his three-point games. Um, but, yeah, he just good good winner, deserving of it. Um, yeah, I'm happy with it. And what do we think about, um, obviously, the Brownlow was only two days ago now. Well, only just two days ago. But the last two days has been absolute slamming Crips. And there's been a few people come out like Gil McLaughlin that say that, you know, if it wasn't for that ban overturning for that two weeks, then it wouldn't even be eligible for the Brownlow. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, he was rubbed out for two weeks and then he found his way back in on a legal technicality. I mean, he was found not guilty, so he deserves to win the Brownlow. Correct. If he didn't get suspended, he's legible and he was and he won. So he's easy as that. Agreed. Uh, just a couple of more facts from the Brownlow here. So it has been 16 years since a losing team has polled all six votes, but it happened this year, and it was the Stinky Saints. They polled all six votes uh, against Sydney when they played them, even though they lost by 14 points. Um, and this is absolutely ludicrous, but Amon polled 15 votes, which is the same as the entire West Coast team. Yeah, I mean, Carl Amon is a, a thing in himself. He was not expected to poll any votes according to one um, betting company or one website, whoever did it. They had zero votes for him on their board. The fact he got 15 is um, crazy, and the fact that he got more than Connor Rosie is a little bit crazy too, but stranger things have happened. Rick, you go for Port. Yeah, so I I don't agree that Carl Amon should have ended up with more Brownlow votes than Connor Rosie. Connor Rosie was a stud this year for us. Um, but Carl Amon has produced some three-vote games. Like, there's been games that we've won where Carl Amon has been our best player. So for him to get no votes, yes, but for him to get 15, that's probably a bit too many. Um, I've got a couple of other things I want to talk about with you boys. Me too after. Oh, all right. Um, so I've got about here the Batman and Robin combo. So I feel like if the Robin is too close to the Batman, you're not going to be able to win a Brownlow medal. So, for example... Oliver and Petrarca, they both both finished top five because they're taking votes from each other all the time, whereas Cripps polled a lot more than Sam Walsh, who's his Robin, if you think about the Batman-Robin role, because he only ended up with 15. So essentially, you've got to be a big fish in a smaller pond rather than a really good team with a lot of good fish. What do you reckon? Well, Melbourne was the only team that polled two players 20-plus votes. So I agree with you. Yeah, if you're playing two big fish, two big ball winners, then... Only really one of you is going to be in the contention there and you're going to, well, you're knocking each other out basically. So you look at all the other teams like Frio, Andy Brayshaw, 25 votes. The next vote winner is Will Brody on 11 points. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. That's a good example of the Batman Robin. Like Brayshaw is the Batman and the Robin is way down the leg from him. So like, yeah. he's got a chance to win it. Whereas um, the teams that do have the, the, the two really good players, it's a lot less likely that they're actually going to win the individual accolade. Yeah, yeah. Petrarca get 24 votes and Oliver get 25. So, like, And the next in line there is Gorn at 12. So there's a massive gap between those two. So, yeah, they're fighting that out. So that's tough for, for players like that to win a Brownlow when, you, when you're you know, chasing points from your teammate every week. Well, don't have so many good players. Okay, my Brownlow quickies... Uh, just the notable player votes that I that I saw throughout. Um, Taylor Walker getting 14 votes for the Crows was unexpected. He had a good year, but I didn't think he had that good year. And Roy Laird only got 10, less than Ben Keys. Um, everyone thought Roy Laird dominated, but not in the umpire's eyes. Laird also didn't poll until like it was very late, like mid-season. Mm, he was pretty consistent all year, I thought, but didn't show up. 
Well, he's yeah, the but- ho- he was the highest fantasy getter for the year on average, and he didn't poll a vote until I reckon it was like round fourteen or something like that. Yeah, but they have like people have mentioned it, but there's a little bit of like um the umpires kind of need to know who you are and that you're good before they look at you to give you the votes. So like next year, now that Rory Laird dominated, he'll score a lot better this year. Just like Andy Brayshaw will score a lot better next year, just because they're on the umpires' radar a little bit more now. I feel, um, yeah. So that's what that's where I kind of feel like that. But Taylor Walker to get fourteen votes and Rory Laird to get ten or whatever, and Ben Keith to get more than him—that's a joke. Rory Laird was easily their best player. Well, if you reckon that Andy Brayshaw is going to get noticed more and going to get more votes next year, then I'd be jumping on him now for the Brownlow for twenty twenty three because he got twenty five votes this year. And if you reckon he's going to get looked at more and given more votes, then that's almost a shoo-in in your book. That's my hot tip. I am going to put money on him doing the Brownlow next year. Okay, continuing on. I only got through one team there. This is going to take a while. I'll try and shoot quick. Brisbane had Lockie Neal, 28, McCluggage, 14. Then it dropped to Lions at 7. They're about to get Josh Dunkley and Will Ashcroft. That Neil McCluggage looks like it'll be a bit more of a, uh, a gap or the less than the gap between the couple of best players on the team. Um, Sam Walsh only polled 14 I thought he had a bit of a better year than that But there you go They were pretty even across the board At Carlton Nick Dacos polled 11 To tie with Jack Crisp So to say Did Collingwood really have that good a year I mean their highest was Crisp 11 Dacos 11 Dagoe 10 Then it dropped to Cameron at 4 Break Do you know who else got 11 votes? Yeah we're getting to him Shut up Okay So to say if Collingwood exactly you're gonna say. <laughs> couldn't repeat that next year, well, they didn't really have a very good year at all because their players hardly got any votes. Essendon had Zach Merritt on Zach Merritt, Merritt? Zach Merritt on 17 votes, um, and then Peter Ryder eight. So they suck, but that's fine. Um, I noticed Zach Merritt did really good late. Like he was not relevant for the whole start, and then he just Zach Merritt three votes. Zach Merritt three votes late. So yeah. if he had a bit of a better start of the year, he like would have been right up there. And also, sorry, also Rick, your boy Sam Draper polled a vote. I did poll a vote and one goal of the year, which me and Pete yeah. both thought was the best goal. That deserved my, that. Does that was deserving that one? My note here is goal of the year was one of the all-time greats. That is yeah. probably one of the best goals of all time. Well, it was impressive. Year. Straight from the center bounce, fend you off, run dodges. Yeah, the fend off. You've run one, all two. the way. Yeah, that's it. Was a good goal and well, the well celebration deserved. on top of it as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Freeman will have Brayshaw 25, Brody 11. So big drop off there again, but Sarong only got five. I feel like he'll pick up after his finals. Geelong, not much to talk about there. Gold Coast Suns had Noah Anderson on 14. Uh, I have to look pretty far down for Matt Rout. Oh, there he is on four votes after polling three in round one as best on. So we got one more vote in the next 21 rounds. So he still sucks, Rick. Um, we also sorry we're just on Gold Coast we also argued that um, the other week we did we argued about Wits saying that um, he was possibly one of the best Ruckman in the comp this year and mm, still, poll. st- still polled eight votes less than Max Gorn so he did um, what, while we're also on Gold Coast I got another note here shout out thank you Took Miller you won me some dollars I got on you to finish in the top three while you were paying four bucks so cheers mate well done Took Miller for helping Rick out uh, GWS had Josh Kelly on 13 and second place was Taranto on 6 well, guess what Taranto's gone that is not good for them uh, Hopper didn't get any votes so that's fine and then Rick's boy Himmelberg got 5 votes um, Hawthorne Rick did you want to lead off with this one there's something you want to say yeah mate John Newcomb drew with Nick Dacos 11 votes each Best first-year players. Good job. Tom Mitchell, Collingwood's new player, got nine. Moving on. Melbourne, we've talked enough about them. Don't care. North Melbourne, Luke Davies, Uniac won their count on eight. Um, the three-voter against Adelaide was still my favourite, one of my favourite games for the year. That was a good game. Um, and then they stink after that. Poor Adelaide, fun fact, had the most players in double-digit votes. They had five. Amon, Rosie, Wines, Power Pepper, and Boke all had double digits, and then a big drop-off to Zach Butters, who looks like he may be behind Rosie in the umpire's eyes now and Port's best player. Richmond, who cares? Fuck Richmond. St Kilda, you stink. Crouch and Steele had a few votes. St Kilda also had the most players poll a vote of 15 players. 
Yeah, they also had everyone poll a vote when they lost to Sydney somehow. So, And they're stinky. And mm-hmm. they're stinky as well. Good point. Sydney had Mills 21, Parker 16, Chad Warner, Rick's boy, um, on 12. So not a bad effort. Peter Laddams also polled four votes. Who sucks to you, Peter Laddams, because you may have even played the grand final if you weren't a thug. Uh, West Coast, yeah, they just suck. And the Bulldogs had Josh Dunkley, 14, who I was talking about earlier, may slot into that Brisbane. You'd have Neil, 28, Dunkley, 14, and McCluggage, 14. So that would look a lot more even across the board. Um, and, yeah, yeah. Like, like we just talked about, um, Lockie Neil's chance of winning a second Brownlow at Brisbane is going to be gone now because like Ashcroft's going to take votes. He's an X-Factor player. Josh Dunkley polls votes regularly because he kicks goals, he tackles, he marks, he rucks, he does everything. So, yeah, lucky Neil, no chance for a second Brownlow medal next year, mate. That's it. That about sums up the Brownlow medal for me. Not much more to say on that one. Um, I've got one last thing. Toby Green should have won mark of the year. His mark was better than Giorgiardi's. Um, Yeah, that's what I reckon. I thought there were better marks that weren't even shown, but... We were talking about Craig and I watched the Brownlow together and there was... Even when they were showing the round-by-round replays, we both looked at each other and were like, that that mark in the round-by-round replay was better mm. than the three that were in contention for mark of the year. Like, I don't know where they plucked those three from. There were way better marks during the year for the contention of the mark of the year. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, those marks were pretty average. Mitch Giorgiardi's didn't even get that much air on his because he was laying flat when he actually took the specky. Like, at least Toby Green was right up on someone's back. Um, also, another thing, um, Nick, no, Josh Dacos's goal for goal of the year was absolutely sensational, and that probably would have won any other year. Um, but old mate Draper has, like, as we just said, he's like kicked one of the best goals I reckon I've ever seen. Yeah, I I really enjoyed Dacos's goal, but yeah, Draper. As much as I don't like him, much as I hate his haircut, he well deserved goal of the year this year. All right, Craig touched on it before. Nord took out the Sandful Grand Final by one point. Craig and I were at the game. It was a very up and down roller coaster game, not just on the field but also off the field. We got some prime seats. Uh, it started drizzling with rain. We decided that it wouldn't rain very much, um, and then it started pouring down. Uh, we're already wet, so we stayed out there. But uh, on the field, um, Craig's obviously a massive Red Legs fan. I think personally that Nord's game plan was much better than Nord's. Uh, Nord just shipped the ball around hand passing all day in the wet. It didn't work early on. Um, North Adelaide's plan was just soccer it off the ground, get it forward, and for the first half at least, it was it was working. It was it was very frustrating to watch as a Nord fan. I can it, assure it, you. Yeah, it, but it was you know as as uh, simple as that game plan was, it was working, but. Obviously, massive win for the Red Legs now, getting up by one point. Craig's definitely a happy man considering Collingwood lost by the one, but um, it was good vibes there, good atmosphere. Probably a little bit less uh, crowd than I would have liked, but obviously the weather held a few people off. Um, what's your analysis on that, Craig? Yeah, they got uh, 27,900, so not a bad crowd in the end considering. Um, it was a pretty it was a fun day. It'll definitely be memorable for many reasons. Um, the fact Norwood won by a point. Uh, Matty Panos kicked the goal with about 20 seconds left. Thank God for that because I was sulking with about 10 minutes to go after um, North Adelaide got the jump. I thought they, it was about dead and buried. They also got the, the free free goal given to them after <sighs> after they kicked a goal. Yeah, I've seen that. Uh, are you even allowed to do that? Shouldn't it be a free kick with the Ruckman back at the centre? We were talking about that mm-hmm. exact thing, that why was it all the way up there? What even happened? We didn't even know what we happened. Yeah, they couldn't show the replay because no one was filming it because no one sh- no one thought there'd be a free kick there. There was a bit of biff because I watched it on TV. Ah, right. That, that was the day after I had my teeth out. So I watched it on TV. Um, there was a bit of biff. And um, yeah, so they got a free kick. But I was like, why is it in front of the goals? Because it literally gave them 12 points. They kicked two goals like, Within 10 seconds. I'm assuming the biff was in the pocket where they got the free kick. Yeah, the biff yeah. was in the forward line. I still think if you do give a free kick after a goal's kick, it should just be free kick from the centre. Yeah, full stop. Because yeah. that was that turned the whole game. Norwood dominated that quarter. Like They kicked two goals. North Adelaide hadn't scored a goal all quarter. And they had two in about 10 seconds. And that swung the game and the momentum back in their favour just before half time. Um, there were some really good efforts. Not good. There were some great efforts out there on the field. 
Um, Harry Boyd, Norwood Ruckman, got uh, 64 hit-outs um, for the day, which he was clinical. Won the game medal as well. He did win the game medal, the Jack Odie for best on ground. Yeah, he was, he was the most influential player on the ground by a mile. Yeah, well, we noticed a lot more, mainly in the second half, we noticed his influence really stepped up and he was tapping it. Once it dried a bit, um, his influence was so much more to the midfielders. Um, it could have gone either way the game. He'd go down as one of the, probably one of the greater grand finals in more recent times because it was close. Um, yeah, it was just a, a really good day to be a part of um, as a Norwood fan. I didn't think we'd get that one after we lost to the Crows in the first final by about 10 goals. I thought the season was done. But um, it shows that if you show up on the day, anything can happen, as Collingwood showed all year, and, and Norwood have too. So just a quick SNFL wrap. But um, yeah, what was was a good day out, Pete. I think we enjoyed that one. Yeah, it was good. Uh, just want to quickly ask you, did you get down to the Brickworks today for the unveiling of the Nord colours? No, I, I had a look at a few photos online. I was working today. Um, but... Uh, we'll have to go past during the week and have a look at that chimney and get a photo because it is good to be on top of North Adelaide who, fun fact, for anyone listening who goes for North Adelaide... I was about to say, I was about to bring this up and I was about right, to say... I'll let you... No, I'll no, let you you're all good, but I was about to say if you're a North Adelaide supporter, it's a very, very bad time for you. Yeah, tune out now. You lost the reserves grand final and you also lost the under-18s grand final. So you were in all three and lost all three. Um Congratulations to Sturt in the reserves and in the under-18s, Glenelg, I believe, won. And the under-16s was won by the Eagles. So, um, good job on the, the local footy. Um, I, oh, sorry, before we wrap it up, I did enjoy the halftime. Um, instead of the the halftime grand final sprints this year, I don't know if they televised it. Do they televise this? Oh, I only the- watched from halftime. Uh, right, so at halftime, instead of the, the sprints, they did a relay. So they got uh, the AFL, well, SANFLW players and the, SA, uh, and the SFL, SANFL um, fellas, and they did a 200 meter each relay, so around the whole ground, and they passed along a footy. Um, I thought it was good entertainment. It was good to watch. Uh, the North Adelaide, oh, they won something. They won the halftime, That's true. <laughs> halftime relay, but. Um, yeah, the girl that uh, ran for North Adelaide, she absolutely blitzed him and she even gave a, a few pump-up um, bloody circles as she was running along to the cheer squad, which was sitting not far from us. So, um, I mean, they had her and... Uh, Under-16 kid was like a Commonwealth Games yeah. squad member. So and they he reckon that runner. he's going to be the one of the fastest sprinters in Australia. So, I mean, if you didn't win, you... yeah. Yeah, that was actually pretty good entertainment. And Jared Walsh did a good job uh, commentating. So, Jared, if you're listening, uh, keep up the good work. Master of ceremonies he is, uh, considering he stood out there in the pouring rain to uh, do all the pre-game stuff and everything. So, uh, yeah, good day there, SNFL. Always love the grand final. Never miss one if I can help it. All right, so on from the Sandful, on to the AFLW. Just a quick mention this week, Port got their first win. Defeated Sydney, 10 goals, 8, 68 to 0 goals, 2, 2 points. Absolute belting. Uh, I didn't get to watch this, um, but did either of you get to watch the game at all? I watched a little bit of the Port Sydney game. Um, Port were on top. They they have a bit more of a mature squad. They've come in in their first season than Sydney. Sydney have gone a lot of youth, and it shows in AFLW that if you do not have a good half a dozen players at the top, then, uh, yeah, it falls away quick. So, um, yeah, I think it's great that Port got their first win. I'm not sure. I think Hawthorne and Sydney are the only two new teams that haven't got a win yet. Um, it's so, good to see that they can get the win at the at the home ground as well for the first W. Yeah. Rick, do you want to talk about Port being a Port fan and uh, hopefully a cashed-up member? I was about to say, before we go, have you joined and are you a member now? I am a member now. Um, But no, I didn't get to watch it on the weekend. As I said, I had all my wisdom teeth taken out. I was pretty drugged up. Um, Yeah, I just didn't get a chance to watch the game, but it's good that they won. I'm going to try, obviously, get out to a game in the next couple of weeks. Um, But yeah, I'm actually excited to go out and watch them. Well, Um, I'm I'm spewing that next week, um, I'm on afternoon shift, but next Friday is the... Showdown. First SANFL, oh, sorry, AFLW showdown at Adelaide Oval. Um, and 
as Adelaide Oval members if you do want to go, Rick, and get two tickets for 10 bucks. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't even know how much tickets are generally. I don't know, but two for 10. So if you want to go, Rick, uh, I can't go because of work, but I can uh, get you a couple of tickets. All right. I'll hit you up if I can go. I'll let you know. Well, Hannah Ewing's had three goals, which was the most goals for the round. She also had nine clearances, which was the second most for the round. She also had... Da, da, da. Was she in any more stats? No, she wasn't. Abby Dowrick from Port Adelaide, who also um, won a NAB Rising Star, had 14 tackles for the round, 18 kicks for the round. Um, what else did Hannah have? 14 tackles. 468 metres gained, which is massive in men's football, let alone women. Yeah, 14 tackles. The top was Kiara Barras, who's a star of the game in AFLW. She had 17 tackles. But Abby Dowrick, for those playing AFLW Fantasy, because I know Rick loves his, um, got 134 points and topped the fantasy um, scoring. Um, and Hatchard from the Crows, um, shout out, got 118 as well. Dominant players tend to dominate this game. So, yeah, you're a dominant player, usually having a good week. Anything what? else to add, Rick? Pete? Sorry, while we are on the topic, uh, is there something in the pipeline with the footy feast and um, Hannah Ewings? Yes, I have been in talks with Hannah Ewings on Instagram and she has agreed to come on. We're just trying to tee up a time that's suitable. And, yeah, there's actually another one in the pipeline. Might as well throw it out now. But I've also been speaking to Jay Schultz from Port Adelaide who – potentially be coming on the podcast as well. So a few big names coming up in the future. Love it. All right. Any more on the uh, AFLW, fellas? I don't think I have much more to add on this week. We had a draw, Fremantle-Carlton. Uh, wasn't a bad game after Fremantle got off to a good start. Um, no, I think I'm pretty happy with that summary. Um, I'll just let you take this one away. Okay, me and Rick mainly had a discussion during the week um, off the back of Tasmania. Congratulations. It looks like they are over the line on getting the 19th license. Um, they won't be in for five or six years, but um, we're very excited to have a Tasmanian Timbers team in the AFL. So I've already done the hard work for them, so they just need to get the financial sorted because they have everything else they need players-wise and colours and name, everything sorted by me. What are, what are the odds... Um, what odds are you giving that they will be named the Tassie Timbers? Oh, where I am feeling about 80% confident that they will be the Tasmanian Timbers. Um, there is no better name out there. I've done my research. If the next best name is the something Ants or whatever the hell, Jack Jumpers, then the Timbers has to surely be a shoe-in. Um, no one even knows what a Jack Jumper is still. Like some giant ant thing, like who even knows? So the Timbers will be an amazing team in the AFL. Speaking of this, Rick thinks we can't have a 19-team competition. I think it's perfectly okay to have a 19th competition, 19-team competition. He wants a 20th team. Where are we going to stick a 20th team, Rick, and what is it called? So just back one step. Whoa, okay. whoa, whoa, whoa. Rewind. So the thing is... <laughs> <laughs> make my own sound I'm, effects here. I'm leaving that in as well. Yeah, That's good. brilliant. I'm going to start making my own sound effects. Um, so we already discussed that if you have an uneven amount of teams, it ruins fantasy football. Random teams not going to be playing fantasy. You're going to get stitched up in your grand finals, blah, blah, blah. Can't have an uneven amount of teams. So for the 20th team, I think give South Australia a third team. Um, I why? feel Why? Um, I feel like Victoria have too many teams. All the players become friends with each other. That's why the stay at, stay at Victoria, like people from out of state that go to Victoria stay there because they make friends. There's more AFL players there. Um, WA and SA need more teams in the future, and I think give SA a team first. Um, so I think we should get a third team, give them the name the South Coast Sharks. It gives a little bit of rivalry with West Coast and Gold Coast straight away because they talk about the coasts. And then South Australia will have our own coast. Um, so for the Sharks, they'll be orange and blue and they'll be located in Henley Beach. So the players that do come here get to live in a wicked suburb and they'll probably stick around. Fair enough. I have also overlooked the Northern Territory um, for the 20th team. Um, and Canberra wasn't far away from being the 20th team, but I just don't feel like 10,000 fans a week is what we need after the last two teams bringing in 10,000 team fans a week um i am shipping them straight off to wa why 
I think that they are hungrier for football like the Footy Feast podcast is. Um, Fremantle have 60,000 members and West Coast have 100,000 members. And this is why I base the 20th team in Perth, even undercutting 40,000 of those members from West Coast um, to come onto a brand new team. Um, you're off to a way better start than you would get from Port or Crows who have 55,000 and 75,000. I think you already got a way better head start if some of them jump ship from West Coast. Um, the team will be based out of Perth, which I mean, you can't call them West Coast or you can't call them Fremantle. So Perth is the capital. Um, the Perth, I was, I was toying around with a few names, the Perth Panthers, but you already have the Panthers in the NRL. Um, the Perth Penguins, I didn't mind that. Um, Are you going to let them be black and white? Ooh. And another, another one to add to the Guernsey yeah, debate. I think we can have the bring back the bars in uh, Perth as well. We can have a Perth edition over in WA. <laughs> old mate Will can share that one up. I don't think uh, old mate Eddie would let that happen. Um, oh, well, there wasn't really, it was hard to find Perth something that I really liked. What about the Pelicans? I mean, that's not a bad idea. A Pelican's pretty native to Perth. As long as they've got one over there, I mean, that's enough to give them a team name. So, I like the name Pelicans. The Pelicans could work. they got to do a better job than New Orleans has done. But what are those things on that Rottnest Island? What are those things called? The little creatures? Quokka. Quokkas. So the quokkas. if there was some way we could make the Quokkas um, over there, I think the people would embrace that name as well. They the would, Perth Quokkas. They would froth over the Perth Quokkas. I think being native to Perth, that would go off. So, yeah, the Perth Quokkas in WA. Let's make them the 20th team if we have to. Quokkas versus the Dockers. That actually sounds... That's got a good ring to it. Shit, that's good. We better patent this quick. Pete, ah, get on and the Quokkas and Eagles. Yeah. Get ah. on to a legal team, whoever that is. Rick or P, I don't know who's legal or know someone <laughs> legal. We'll figure it out. Um, but draw them back again. So, rewind. So, the thing is, SA should get the team because then people like yourself, Craig, can actually jump ship to a new South Australian team and bring the South Australian fans back to South Australian teams because, like, a lot of people in SA aren't supporting SA teams. Okay, and but they can't be called the South Coast Sharks because I wouldn't get on board that. But they also, need to be a really good team. If there, was a, if there was a South Australian team to come into the mix, would you just ship off Collingwood and come straight into a SA team? I feel that's a big ask. That is a big ask, but I wouldn't not consider it. Port Power didn't really appeal to me because it's really just honed into one suburb. It's very isolating. Adelaide Crows, I never really felt an affinity for, although I probably did go for them back in the grand finals in 97, 98. Would I jump off Collingwood? I don't know if I would, but a new team, if it was in the right mix and whatnot, I, I could be swayed um, if, if it was a perfect world. so If it was something like the Quokkas. Yeah, I mean, the Perth Quokkas, I would, if I was in Perth, I'd 100% get around that. Quokkas over the Dockers, for sure. That would be amazing. Um, yeah, who knows? That's if we get a 20th team. Baby steps. All right, so just to wrap up the last segment, before we move on to Rick's reach out, we're going to just do some draft and trade tour like we did last week. Uh, probably one of the biggest ones this week was the Dunkley coming out to... Uh, sorry. Dunkley coming out to saying he wants Brisbane as opposed to Port. Um, going to be very interesting how this deal gets done, but what do you guys think? Is he? Um, what are they going to have to pay for him? A lot. I'd be surprised if Brisbane have any draft picks this year or next after they get Ashcroft, Fletcher, and Dunkley across. I don't know how it gets done. There's lots of bits and pieces around on how they can do it. They need to do half a dozen trades and ship off Darcy Gardner and Devin Robertson and McStay and all of these blokes. It will be hard, but they'll get it done. Players usually nominate and they usually get where they want to go. Um, that's how the world works, especially being as he's out of contract. And the thing is too, like even though you're saying that they're going to have no picks, you know, any relevant picks next year or the year after, but if you're getting in... You know, Ashcroft, Dunkley, Neil, Lyons, you got Rayner, Zach Bailey. Like, that, you don't really need those picks. No, we well, might need key well. forwards or key backs or rucks to develop. But, yeah, um, yeah, their midfield looks pretty strong for a while off the back of... But also with that looking strong is obviously in a few years' time, they're going to have salary cap issues because you're going to be starting to pay those players some dollars to keep them around. Yeah, I agree. I don't know how they get it done. I know Rick's a bit salty that Dunkley picked Brisbane over Port. Apparently, he has a home up there already. His sister's up there. 
and uh, his partner's family is all up there, so that's why he picked there over Port, Rick. Poor Josh Dunkley's missus. He's moved to go live with his sister instead of his missus. Um, the thing is, I honestly don't <laughs> think he's going to make it. I don't think he's going to get there. Um, Brisbane are not going to risk losing um, Ashcroft and Fletcher for him. Um, Western Bulldogs have already said if they don't pay hardball, they're willing to make him go to North Melbourne. So I just don't think that Josh Dunkley is actually going to make it to Brisbane. Um, Brisbane aren't stupid and they know that Ashcroft is a unicorn and that's where their priority is. Um, apparently this year they don't even have enough points just to match Af- Ashcroft's bid. That's even with their first round pick. Um, so if they can't get some good quality picks in for some of these players that they're trying to ship out, then yeah, I think Josh Dunkley's at North Melbourne next year. That would oh, never happen. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think Dunkley's manager would let that happen. I don't think the Bulldogs would go unrewarded. You'd take something over nothing. Um, I know a lot of clubs play pride and stuff, but you just got to work it to get the best maximum deal you can. Yeah, but if Josh Dunkley ends up, you sign for Western Bulldogs or you go to North Melbourne, what's he going to do? Yeah, probably re-sign to Western Bulldogs. If they, exactly. they, yeah, they force his hand and they say, you go on the North, he'll be like, well, yeah. Um, we also got, uh, was it Darcy Tucker is apparently being chased, well, not chased, but interested by about eight different clubs. No, Lloyd Meek, you mean? Sorry, yep, Lloyd Meek. Darcy Tucker picked the Kangaroos. That's the one. head over there with um, Griffin Logue. I don't know why. North suck as well, but Alistair Clarkson um, brings a lot of clout with him. Lloyd Meek apparently wants to go to Hawthorne. Rick Boo. would love that. Boo. Because he has bloody all his chips in Hawthorne. He's got Mac Lynch, Max Lynch badge. He's got Ned Reeves' poster on his wall. Um, ben McAvoy is happy to, sorry to lose him, but he had uh, Ben McAvoy Guernsey used to wear around. So Have right. said... Um, I only have Ned Reeves. Oh, well, I don't know. You, you love them all anyway, the Ruckman at Hawthorne. Um, but apparently that's where he wants to go. So I uh, don't know why, but it feels like there's always just three or four teams that get all the players every year. This year it happens to be North Melbourne. Collingwood. Collingwood has a few players they're getting this year. Um, Hawthorne, Amon and things. So there's always a couple of clubs that get a few every year. It's just these clubs turn. Also, forgot to mention, considering on draft and trade talk, the fake trade this week. Mm. Um, fake trade this week just came out not long ago, and it is the Pies receive a future first-round pick and pay 30% of the contract for the Ds to receive Brody Grundy. 30% of the contract's 400000 for a first-round pick. Just not worth it. I may have heard on SEN, I believe, or something like that, that Melbourne are happy to take the whole contract and give back a crap draft pick. Good enough for me. Salary dump him off, get a third rounder back, um, see if we can't jag some uh, diamonds in the rough. How long has he got left on his contract? Five years. Five years. So if you go to pay 30% of his contract, you're going to be paying, what, two mil? Yeah, two mil. Two mil out for five years where you can just salary dump him and you can give that two mil somewhere else. Yeah, I'd 100%. And take, a sh- and take the shit pick. Take that 1.2 mil yeah. and, and wait for someone of a Ben King to jump out of contract or whenever it is in a few years' time, whoever's on the market, there's got to be someone good coming out and pounce on that in the future. Um, I'd much rather that than dead money on the books. We've had too much of that. What are your thoughts, Rick? Um, I still think it's stupid that Brody Grundy wants to go to Melbourne over going to a team like Geelong, but fair to him. Um, yeah, if I was Collingwood, I'd probably rather get rid of the entire contract um, just because, yeah, They've got a lot of young players like Nick Dacos is going to want more money. Jordan Dugowie's getting a big contract. Uh, um, Mick Stay's already coming in. Bobby Hill wants to go there. Um, there's already That money's already half spent, so they just need to get that money out. Yep, agreed. So that's a no for the fake trade for me. Take the one without any money given up. Um, what else, Peter? Um, I don't know. I haven't got any other. What other, what other uh, well, I'm trades? I'm happy to talk about draft quickly. Yep. We had the NAB boys final, and guess who was best on ground? Rick. Silence says everything. It was Will Ashcroft. You're right, Rick. Will Ashcroft had 39 disposals, six clearances, six inside 50s, five tackles. The next highest player after his 39 disposals was Cameron McKenzie with 26. Um, not even in the same stratosphere as Will Ashcroft. He'll probably win the best and fairest medal for the boys' competition, even though he missed half the games to play for Vic Metro. Um, But he is a freak of a player. Um, 
Another name who we just like to mention is Harry Sheasel, who will be a high draft pick as a forward. Kicked four goals. Um, Ken McKenzie, who was the next best on ground, had 26 disposals, six tackles, six clearances, and two goals. So a more well-rounded game, I guess, um, Will Ashcroft needs to get a few more goals, but he usually kicks one or two a week every now and again anyway. So, um, yeah, I think it was good to finish off um, the season for Will Ashcroft. He's done everything he possibly can. I think he's the unanimous number one by a country mile at this point in time. Definitely by far. Um, we talked about it last week briefly that um, he's obviously going to be a jet and that he's probably going to slot straight into the midfield at Brisbane. Um, do you think that he will beat Nick Dacos's 11 points polling for the Brownlow next year? Oh, there is every chance if Brisbane have a good year that he will go straight into the midfield and get touches. Um, and I think, oh, he'd be around 11 mark if he doesn't beat it. I think solely because of the calibre of the midfield that he may not poll as well as Dacos did. Mm, but not saying that he won't have the same or if not more of an impact, but just because of the they're competing with, or especially if Dunkley goes there and Neil goes there, you're going to be trying to steal points away from them. So Brisbane have a big Batman. Lockie Neil absorbs too many of the votes. Um, Will Ashcroft, he could have as good of a season as Dacos, but reflective of the Brown, I just don't think he'll get there. Yeah, I mean, and that's fair enough too, but I think if there was a rising star market, he'd be somewhere oh, I was about to say dollar, he's, he's going to be the favourite. So if you found anything with any value in that in rising star market, I would be putting all my chips on him if you get around the $2 mark. Um, yeah, barring some sort of injury, he's a shoe-in for sure. Yeah, um, other draft stuff. Um, there's a few good kids going around. Um, a guy named uh, Matthias Filippo. He looks all right from uh, SA. Um, might have heard him on this podcast previously. Good kid. Good um, good upbringing. Solid man. Um and if the Crows manage to keep their pick or Port manage to keep their pick, now they're not getting Dunkley. Rick, he may well end up at Port Adelaide. They need a tall, big-bodied midfielder, kicks goals. I think he would slot in just beautifully at Port Adelaide. Well, as it stands today, Port have pick eight. Pick eight, so I think he's every chance to be selected there. He's an SA boy. He's a star. Um, we may have talked to Port's next first-round draft pick early if um, things go to plan, but... We will see from there. Yeah, just touching on that at the start of the year, um, like as he spoke with us, he wasn't even getting looked at for football. By middle of the year, he was projected to be a top three draft pick and then he slipped a little bit late. Um, obviously, um, Ashcroft and that, they play for Vic Metro. They've got a lot of better talent around them, so it's easy to look good and get more clean ball. Um, I forget his name, but Will Ashcroft's partner in crime has significantly good stats as well because obviously Ashcroft gives him the ball a lot. Um, but yeah, I'd be happy if Mateus ends up at Port Adelaide. That'd be a good get. Yeah. Um, to sum it up, or any more draft or trade talk? That covers that. Rick, reach out. Rick, reach out! So, boys, um, obviously I reached out to Joe Schultz. I won't read those messages, but I'm in talks with him about getting him on the podcast. But I did make a post on, well, not a post, but I DM'd a player on Instagram. Once again, it's not a nice message. We already touched on the player. I messaged Josh Dunkley and I said, I, th- uh, I used to think you were a good bloke, but not coming to SA to be with your missus is a dick move. <laughs> I'm assuming, again, you haven't got any response. No, he hasn't. He's too afraid to come to Adelaide now because he'd rather go live with his sister. Fair enough. Just before we wrap up, what has been a good podcast? Um, Craig McRae won the Coaches Association Coach of the Year. Um, had a good year going from 17th to 4th. 17th to 4th or 3rd, whichever way you want to look at yeah. it. Well deserved. Can you do a clapping sound, please? Uh, oh, hold on, hold on. Why did I have to press a clapping sound when you said you were going to make your own sound effects? I can't make one. multiple clapping sound effects. <laughs> uh, assistant Coach of the Year went to Troy Chaplin from Melbourne. I don't know what he did. But um, here's an interesting one for you, Peter. The AFL Coaches Development Coach of the Year is a congratulations to Michael Godden, coach of the Adelaide Football Club in the SANFL. Um, Could be good signs to come then. Yeah, well, I mean, Crows 
second or first on the ladder in the SNFL. So um, I think that's all of the really important ones. Does that mean Rochelle will get good next year? Probably. Well, he should be developing yeah. really well if he's got the development coach of the year. So there you go. Stop thinking about your fantasy team, mate. Rick, I hear as well that Cozzy Pickett, Port still want him. I would really like for them to go after Cozzy Pickett. He's an SA boy. He's going to kick a lot. He's proved that he can kick six goals in a game. He's an X-Factor player. He tackles. I was upset when we didn't actually get to draft Cozzy Pickett because I think Melbourne traded ahead of us to get him that year. Um, but, yeah, it was a big shame we didn't get Cozzy Pickett, and I do hope he does come to Port Adelaide. I'd rather him than Junior Rioli. Just quickly, too, uh, won't talk about it too long, but Josh Carr coming back to Port Adelaide, what do you think? He is the unofficial head coach of Port Adelaide. <laughs> Ken Hinckley sacked next year. They've brought him in. He'll be the head coach next year. We were discussing this very shortly before the podcast, and I just wanted to get your take on it, but that was what Craig said as well. That was my mail that I got that he's he's being brought in to, um, yeah, to take, take that job once Ken Hinckley loses it. He's primed and ready. Yeah, I agree. Like, he'll be sitting in the wings for the first 10 weeks and then they're just going to say, Ken Hinckley, it's over, and then he'll just take over as head coach. And then they'll give him a trial, and then if he does good enough, then obviously he'll take the job permanently the following year. Yeah. All right, that wraps up this episode. Um, Like you heard from Rick, we got a couple of uh, some bigger names lined up to get some guests on the podcast soon, so make sure you keep listening. Make sure you keep sending them listener questions, um, and you'll hear from us next week.